Amen. Good morning, everybody. Please, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. And this is the text that the Lord in his providence has given us to focus on this morning as we make our way verse by verse through the book of, of Luke, which is, which is what we're studying. And uh, while you're turning there, I want to say, welcome home, Amen. right? And I want to say a, a great thank you for all the, the labor, all the intentionality, all the um, internal motivation by the Spirit. Our people have been internally motivated by the Spirit to serve their church. And uh, that's an incredible th uh, thing to watch. Um, thank you for all the generosity. I know that you're not doing this for us, but thank you. Thanks for all the love and the support and the servanthood and the humility and the selflessness and the godliness, the holiness and maturity that you've exhibited through this time. It's been incredible to watch, and our church is alive and well. And, um, and, uh, and let's continue to pray that God would do a great work in our church and through our church. But now that we're here, and now that we're at this particular location, why don't we just do what we always do, right? And what we're committed to doing, which is to hear from God in his word, right? We're committed to the explaining and applying of God's word verse by verse in order to be sanctified in God's truth. That's our goal. That's what we've been committed to, and that's what we are going to stay committed to. And so let's start by reading Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. This is the text that the Lord has given us this morning, and it's a wonderful text. Verse 7, chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they found, they, they went and they found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. This is an incredible portion of scripture. And what we're seeing in this portion of scripture is the intentional preparation for the final Passover. That's what's happening here. That's the main point of this section. It's the preparation for the Passover. Pretty obvious. You can see this pretty clearly when you read the text that this is what's happening here. And that's the main point. The, there's preparation for the Passover, which I, is why I've entitled this message preparation for the Passover. That's what's happening here. Jesus is preparing for 
the Passover. But what this text makes very clear to us is that there is intentionality in the road to the cross. There is finality here. There's fulfillment taking place. There is a divine plan behind the cross. There's God's sovereignty here. There's obedience from Christ here. There is Christ being in complete control on his way to the cross. He's determined to go to the cross and he's working on a divine timeline and he's going to keep it. There is sovereign working of a plan that brings about the death of Christ on the cross and that's what we're seeing here in this preparation for the Passover. So let me get us there. What we've been seeing recently, at the end of Luke chapter 21, really verse 37 into chapter 22, verse 2, is that Luke has given us a summary. If you remember, at the end of 21, Luke gave us a summary about where we were in this whole journey to the cross. He caught us up to speed. He said, this is what Jesus has been doing every day, and this is where Jesus has been going every night. He's been giving us this summary. He caught us up to speed, but then he gave us the current situation. And the current situation consists of a chronology, and it consists of certain characters. Certain characters. There was a scheme. There was the chief priests. There was Judas. There was a scheme going on. And so we're caught up to speed. We see the current situation, what's happening behind the scenes through Judas and, and the chief priests, and what's happening every day to, to, to trap him, the officers, even the Roman officers. But all of this summary and the scheme and the characters and what's taking place in the chronology has all just pointed us to this sovereign setting. This sovereign setting. God is sovereignly setting the stage, orchestrating all things to bring about Christ's sacred sacrifice upon the cross in order to provide salvation. He's caught us up. He's told us the current situation and what's happening behind the scenes. And now we know that there is a betrayal scheming. So it brings us into this section today in chapter 22, verse 7, where we turn the page to Thursday of Passion Week. We're now turning the page to Thursday. And there will be a full day of preparation for the Passover so that the Lord can have this final meal with his disciples. Christ's time has come at this point. The time has come. He's here. Everything has been working to this point. The sacrifice as the Passover lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world is on the threshold of happening. This is bringing us to Thursday where he'll 
have that night, that evening, Thursday evening, a Passover meal with his disciples. And then from there, what will take place is that Jesus will spend, and Luke will spend, really the next 24 verses after he starts this Passover meal with his disciples, he'll spend 24 verses in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples, right? This is looking ahead past our section today. He'll spend 24 verses. Now, this is rich. When we get to the upper room, it'll, this is rich stuff. You see Jesus in this final intimate time with his disciples, And so there will be a final, intimate, instructional time. And it's full of precious promises. We don't see the fullness of this here in Luke's gospel when we get to the upper room. You see the fullness of that in John's gospel where there's five chapters of Jesus and the disciples in the upper room. It's called the farewell discourse. We've had the Olivet Discourse, where he speaks of this, the, the, the future kingdom. And, and here will be the, the, the Upper Room Discourse, the Farewell Discourse. That's what will take place as we begin the Passover meal next, next week. There will be uh, 24 verses of them in the Upper Room. In John's Gospel, like I said, five chapters. Once that finishes, they go out from the Upper Room and they go into the Garden. And that'll start in verse 39 of chapter 22. That'll start in verse 39. And we'll see this this garden scene. And so this is an incredible journey to the cross where the Lamb of God is being sacrificed for sinners. But before the Last Supper, before the Upper Room Discourse, before the Garden, now that we've been caught up to speed with the summary, we sit here in this preparation for the Passover. This preparation. And it's a preparation for a final Passover meal. And what we're seeing is the Lord moving this whole thing providentially. This whole plan is now moving through this preparation for the Passover. And so as I mentioned, what we'll see here is is intentionality. We're going to see Christ's obedience. We'll see that he's in control, that this is on a divine timetable, that he's controlling this whole plan, that the work of the cross is a sovereign work. It's a divine work. It's an act of him. It's an act that God predestined and planned to take place, and nothing's going to thwart it. There's fulfillment and finality here, and it's undeniable evidence in this section that God is in complete control of this. There is complete providence and sovereignty. The cross was no accident at all. This was God's orchestrating of every detail to bring about the death of his son to save sinners. This is the pinnacle of human history. And what this speaks about for you as you process this is that there is a great necessity for this to take place. Why, God, why would God go through all of this, although it's not difficult for him? Why would he go through all of these details if it wasn't the only way for you to be reconciled to God? This speaks of necessity. This speaks of God being in control. And I wonder if you 
have looked at the events of the cross and realized how sovereign God has been through that whole process. The plan to save sinners. I wonder if you've realized and you've recognized the necessity of all of this in order for you to be forgiven of your sins and reconciled to God. And the only way that that would be possible is if God sovereignly worked this plan to bring about salvation for sinners. And your only response should be to submit to the great power and love of God through this plan. So let's see this now, this preparation for the Passover. We're going to see three points in our section. Simple. We're going to see the date, verse 7. We'll see the direction in verses 8 through 12. And we'll see the divine control in verse 13. We're going to see God's sovereign working plan through this preparation for the Passover through three particular Aspects: The date, verse 7, the direction, verses 8 through 12, and then divine control in verse 13. Let's start with the date. You ready? Yeah? Okay, verse 7 in the text, chapter 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. This, when I say date, I'm speaking of timing, This is dealing with timing. And this is dealing with the intentionality of God, the control, the sovereignties, this finality that's taking place, this fulfillment, this divine plan here, this sovereignty, orchestrating all these events on a divine timeline. What we see in the verse that we begin with here in verse 7 is that then came the day. Stop right there. If you look down at your text, you see in the beginning of verse seven, then came the day. And this, what this does is this transitions us to Thursday. This transitions us to Thursday. So after Luke gives this great summary that I've mentioned at the end of chapter 21, then we're told of the evening of Wednesday with Judas scheming to portray Jesus. That's Wednesday night. Then we're brought into Thursday morning. So Wednesday all day, Jesus is refuting all the leaders. Wednesday night, uh, Judas comes to this agreement with the chief priests and the officers. And now we're transitioning into Thursday. So this is a transitional phrase used by Luke. Right? Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. This is the day of the, of the Passover. This is the day of unleavened bread. And as you remember last week, what Bo spoke about, which he was absolutely right, that this was incredibly significant as they remembered the exodus from, from Egypt. And we know that Christ would be crucified at the exact time when all the Passover lambs would be killed. But when you read this and you say, this is Thursday, 
And Luke is writing that this is the day of unleavened bread, the day of the Passover when the lambs would be sacrificed. How was Jesus sacrificed at the exact time on Friday as well as them being allowed to have this meal on Thursday celebrating the Passover. How is, why is Luke telling us that this is the day of unleavened bread? The day of unleavened bread, if you remember, is the first day, is, is the, the, the Passover, right? That starts the first day of the week of unleavened bread. So it's the Passover, it's the, it's the beginning of the day, uh, the week of unleavened bread, but this is Thursday. Jesus is, and his disciples are gonna sacrifice the, the lamb and, and eat the meal, but how then is Jesus sacrificed at the exact time that the lambs would be slaughtered on, on Friday? How does that all take place? Well, the answer is, is really pretty simple, but it's amazing to understand. So Luke is telling us that this is the day on Thursday, this Thursday is the day of unleavened bread, the day in which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. The people from the north in Israel, northern Israel, where Jesus and his disciples were from, they would, and this is the answer, they would measure their days mornings to mornings. The, day, the, the people of southern Israel would measure their days from evening to what? Evening. And so the Passover for those in northern Israel would begin Thursday morning into Friday morning. And the days of, the, the day of the Passover for those from southern Israel would begin Thursday evening to Friday evening. Now this was allowed in Jerusalem during the time of the Passover because this would actually work in the favor for this, this whole time when, when people would uh, take a pilgrimage to Jerusalem in order to, to celebrate the Passover because this would allow some kind of organization to take place. So this was allowed. There would be tens of thousands of lambs being slaughtered so you kind of split that maybe in half. Some would be slaughtered on Thursday night. People would take the meal and then some would be slaughtered on Friday night and people would, would have their meal then. And it also reduced the interaction from the northern Israelites to the southern Israelites, which there would be some friction there. So this is all happening and it would all happen between 3 to 5 p.m., um, it was to be done at twilight, which just simply means in between lights. So both northern Israelites and southern Israelites would, would do this in between days. It was just how the days were measured. But this would be incredible. And you can read those instructions in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. But this is amazing because think about the sovereignty here. This would allow Jesus from northern Israel to obey the law and sacrifice the lamb and have this last meal with his disciples while at the same time, on the day and the time when those from southern Israel, which is where Jesus was, would sacrifice the lamb and, and eat of it, Jesus at that exact time on Friday would be what? Sacrificed as the fulfillment, as the Passover, the true permanent Passover lamb. 
So this is divine sovereignty taking place. On Thursday night, they will eat the last Passover meal, and on Friday, he will be sacrificed as the Passover lamb. And so this is speaking of a a lot of different themes here that you have to understand, all of which are pointing to God's sovereignty. This is divine obedience, first of all. Jesus, on the precipice of dying on the cross, his death is around the corner, and he he knows full well what's ahead of him. He's maintaining obedience to the law. He's going to keep the law perfectly, which required them to be in Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover. And he's going to do exactly that. So this is obedience, even as approaching his death. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father in celebrating this Passover meal on Thursday, and he would perfectly obey the Father as being the Passover lamb on what? Friday. This is divine obedience. There's nothing outside of Jesus' control at this point. He is in such control that he will obey the Father all the way to the end. Nothing will stop that. He will obey the Father all the way to the end. This This is Jesus obeying the Father. He's got a divine timetable to keep. He's going to celebrate on Thursday night and he's going to be the lamb on on Friday. He's the true lamb on Friday that'll take away the sins of the world for those who believe. And so here in verse 7, when it says that then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed, we see all of this orchestrating under God's divine sovereignty but it'll ultimately point us to Friday soon where Jesus will be this lamb. 1 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. I'm going to explain that a little bit later. As you really are unleavened. For Christ, our what? Passover lamb has been sacrificed. John 1, says, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So this is divine timing. This is showing perfect obedience by Christ. This is pointing us, this verse, to who Christ will be on Friday as the, the fulfillment of the Passover lamb, the final Passover lamb. So we have timing, we have obedience, and as I mentioned, we have fulfillment. Think about this for just a moment. Luke is pointing us here to fulfillment. Think about this. This will be the final Passover. The final Passover. This meal on Thursday night that they're preparing for will be the final legitimate Passover. Any Passover after that Thursday night meal is illegitimate. There's no more Passover meals. Why? Because Jesus will transition from the Passover to the first, what? communion, to the first communion, to the first Lord's Supper. God will no longer, Jesus says, do this in what? Remembrance of me. Why did they celebrate the Passover? To remember. And God is essentially saying, no longer do I want to be remembered by freeing my people from Egypt. Egypt. 
From now on, I will be remembered by freeing my people from sin through the work of my son. This will be the final Passover. There's, there is timing here. There's obedience here. There's fulfillment taking place here. There is divine control. Now, not only is there timing, obedience, and fulfillment, but there's a lot of imagery and irony in this section. A lot of imagery and a lot of irony. Let's start with the imagery. What does this illustrate? Well, what did celebrating the Passover remember? It remembered and looked back to freedom from slavery in Egypt. And it points us to when Jesus is sacrificed as the, as the Passover lamb, that there will be freedom from sin. From sin, from slavery of sin. This is the, the imagery here. If you remember, the people of Israel in Egypt had to put what on their door? Blood. And death would pass over. Well, as we know, the fulfillment in Christ says, if you are covered by the blood of the lamb, meaning you have trusted in Christ's sacrifice, the penalty of death as the wages for your sin will be removed. And death will pass over you and instead you will have eternal life. The imagery here couldn't be greater. If you remember the Red Sea, where God made a way where there was no way. That's the picture of what's taking place. There's a, a final aspect to this imagery. There's transition from the Passover meal to the Lord's table. Just turn with me for a moment to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Turn in your Bible there, please, so you can follow along and see it for yourself. Acts chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Verse 43. By the way, earlier when I did that reading, I looked at it later. I got the verses right. I just, I don't know, I doubted myself. We got to, um, we're going to have to look back at it because it really informs us of our text. I'll maybe try to point us there in Acts chapter four um, at the end of this. But Exodus chapter 12, verse 43, and we're, we're noting here this, this similarity, but this fulfillment, this finality, and this transition from the Passover meal to the, to the Lord's table. Verse 43, and the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall do what? Eat of it. Now think about this. Flip back to Luke. When Christ institutes the Lord's table and Paul then in the New Testament gives us instructions, it's not that no foreigner should eat of it, but it's no unbeliever should eat of it. I mean, the, the fulfillment here and, and the imagery here and the connection here and the transition here is, is front and center there's also the imagery with the, the, the unleavened bread. 
The day of the Passover marked the beginning of the week of, of unleavened bread, where there would be seven days of eating bread without what? Leaven. Leaven in the scripture, it, it signifies influence. Influence. Oftentimes, influence of sin. And so they would, after the Passover, celebrate seven days which resembled completion of no leaven, pointing us to, as Christ is sacrificed for sinners, that there is a complete removal of sin. There's imagery everywhere here. This is timing. This is obedience. This is fulfillment. This is imagery. But this is also irony. Also irony. This is a meal commemorating deliverance. Life. And now it will be commemorating a sacred death. This is also irony because this is a celebration of the nation of Israel being freed, being delivered. And now they're the very ones that are rejecting the Christ and are under, at this point, the condemnation and wrath of God for not recognizing the Christ during his visitation. And so there is timing, obedience, fulfillment, finality, imagery, irony. All of this is taking place in this moment. God is working this sovereign timeline, this perfect timing, this sovereign plan, this provision for salvation. And I wonder if you've been aware of that. That this provision for salvation was totally and completely the work of God and has been his plan from the beginning. Praise God for his great power, his might, and his love but realize also there is no other way for you to be reconciled to God than through this divine plan. This is the date and the timing. Let's move to the direction. Verse eight, the direction. So Jesus, verses eight through 12. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. They said to him, where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepare it there. So we see not only the date and the timing that points us to the control of God here, but we see this direction that also points us to the fact that Jesus is in control of all this. And direction, I mean, Jesus is giving directions here. He's giving instructions here to the disciples. Do you see this in the verses? Keep your eyes on the text. You gotta know this text. You should walk away from Every sermon, not saying, I remember what everything that he said, but you need to walk away remembering, I, I know what this text means and what it says, and I can come back to it and, 
and understand it in its context. I want you to see this text for yourself. Don't just listen, look. So we see this text in this section here, and this is direction. This is direction by Jesus, once again showing that he's in complete control. There is a divine timetable to be kept. Jesus is going to obey the law and obey the Father perfectly. Look at how it starts in verse eight. There's the word, so. That's a big word. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So, Jesus is moving this in the direction because he's got to keep up with the divine timeline. There's a plan here. He's obeying the Father. So he's got to move. Now, he's not in a hurry, but he is, he is moving in this direction, giving these directions because of the timing that's here. So verse 8, what does he do? He sends Peter and John. Peter and John. We love those guys, huh? We see a lot of them. Luke alone in all these accounts gives us the names here. Only Luke gives us the names. The parallel accounts don't give us the names. And this is very clear and this is very straightforward. But it's wonderful to understand. They would need to go and prepare this meal. This final Passover meal that we've talked about. There would need to be preparation, which I'll talk about in a moment. But verse 9 says that then after Jesus gives these instructions to go prepare for us, verse 8, that we may eat it. That's pretty simple, straightforward. They ask what anyone would ask, where? Where do you want us to prepare it? And so that's going to be the question. And we'll get there in a moment. There's a lot going on here. Understand this, first of all, that preparations would take time. Here's what would need to happen. As you move into Jerusalem, you'd have to secure a room, secure a location. And this would be pretty common because everyone would be coming to Jerusalem to sacrifice the lamb. The law stated that this had to be done in the temple, but because of the amount of people, those parameters were expanded to all of Jerusalem. So this would be pilgrims coming in from everywhere during this time to sacrifice the Passover lamb, celebrate the Passover during this time in Jerusalem. And so people would prepare for this. They had extra rooms, right? They would be ready to rent those rooms out to people. So they had to secure the room. Then secondly, the lamb would need, so this is what Peter and John would have to do. Go secure the room. Secondly, they'd have to take the lamb to the temple to be slaughtered. The blood would need to be sprinkled. Then they would take, the ba- take back the lamb for roasting it. They'd also have to secure unleavened bread. Remember, this, this uh, imagery is taking place at this meal. If you've ever experienced being part of a, a Passover meal that not a real Passover meal. Like I said, there's no more legitimate Passover meals, but just understanding it and, and understanding the imagery. There would be the, the lamb that would be sacrificed, but then they would have to secure this unleavened bread signifying this freedom of the influence of sin that they would eat during this time. Then there would be four cups of wine 
that they'd have to secure. And that uh, points to the four, there's four promises in Exodus chapter six. Promises of deliverance. So they have secure the room, sacrifice the lamb at the temple, sprinkle the blood, bring it back for roasting, get the unleavened bread, get the four cups of wine, and then there would be bitter herbs, which they would remember um, the bitterness of their slavery in Egypt. And then there would be this paste that they would dip the bread into made of apples and dates and pomegranates and nuts. And they would dip the bread into that. So they had to secure this. In verse eight, Jesus says, go and prepare. This is the divine timetable. This is Jesus's obedience. This is the sovereign timing and the work of God. Go and secure this place for us to eat the Passover meal. We got, we're gonna eat it. And he knew that next, the next day he would be the Passover lamb. And so once again, that's the what, but they ask the next question, which is the where? Where do you want us to do that? And this is more divine influence, sovereignty, and control. Because in verses nine through seven, or 10 through, uh, I'm sorry, 10 through 12, nine through seven, that doesn't even make any sense. 10 through 12, he says to them, look at verse 10, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. So he's telling them to go prepare. They're asking where, and here's Jesus's directions to them. When you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples and he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. Now, why all these different steps here? Why all these different steps? Why doesn't Jesus give them an address? Why... Here's a, here's a step, Peter and John. Go into the city. There's going to be a man carrying a, a jar of water and follow him. Then go into the house, ask the master. Then there's the room, then prepare. Why all these steps? Well, it's pretty clear in light of the preceding section that Judas planned to betray Jesus. He sought an opportunity to betray Jesus away from the crowd. The meal would be a perfect timing to betray Jesus. There'd be perfect timing there. The meal would be a perfect place. There'd be only a few people out. It'd be the night before the Passover. People would be preparing for it. The Southern Jews for the Friday night Passover. The only the disciples would be there in that room. They could do it without a riot. It would be secluded. There'd be no risk there. This would be a perfect timetable for Judas to tell the chief priests, and the officers where Jesus was and for them to come and, and get Jesus. But Jesus had to do some things. He had to spend some time with his disciples. He had to obey the law perfectly and have the Passover meal on Thursday night. So the betrayal wouldn't happen on Thursday night. And Jesus was making sure of that. He's in complete control here. He won't be thwarted by Judas's plan. So he gives this instruction he sends Peter and John, which, by the way, Peter and John are often mentioned frequently together. They are 
you, you know that they've been mentioned together in, in the transfiguration and the resurrection and now here in securing this location for the preparation. And that's, it's something to note. We can, we could talk about that for a little while. These are the future leaders of the apostolic group and they're learning to serve and they're learning responsibility and they're learning to lead. There was another one who would be part of this group very often. What's his name? James, Peter, John, and James. They were learning to serve. They were learning leadership. They were learning responsibility to lead the apostles when Jesus leaves. But there was a tradition, by the way, that only two men could bring the animal sacrifice to the temple. This was probably to prevent chaos. So that's why James is probably excluded here. But Jesus, in his wisdom, his great wisdom and knowledge, his great control, sends Peter and John on ahead to a secret location. No names, no signifying where the location was. Judas would not know in advance because when Jesus gives these instructions, the 12 are there with him and he's not giving any particular location. Judas would have no way of knowing where they were going. Peter and and John go on ahead. You're going to find the man, follow him, go to this place, secure it there. And Peter and John would not return. Jesus and the disciples would meet them there. And so Judas would have no way of knowing. And once the supper started, Judas would have no reason to leave that would be legitimate until Jesus said, go on and it's time now, do what you're gonna do and dismisses Judas. So they would secure this place. Jesus and his disciples would, would, would go and have this meal there. What are the specifics As you've read, there's a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him into the house. The master of the house say to him, once you get to the the house, teacher, the teacher says to you, where's the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Well, this this is pretty simple. They're out at the Mount of Olives right now in Bethany because that's where they would go at night. So that's where they were Wednesday night. Thursday morning, Jesus says, when you enter the city, what city? Jerusalem. When you would enter the city, there would be a man carrying a jar of water. That's not typically a man's job. It would be a job of a a woman or a job of a slave during this time. And we know it's not the master because he says, follow the man and then say to the master once you get to the house. So this is probably a slave, and he says he's going to meet you there. Now, when he says he's going to meet you, was this prearranged? Was this just Jesus' omniscience? It could be either one here. Jesus could have prearranged this. He was waiting for him, or just God's foreknowledge and him divinely orchestrating this whole thing. But Jesus knows the exact timing. He's got the whole thing under his control. This man's going to be there with the jar. He's going to meet him. They're going to follow him to the house. Now, what about the master? Is it prearranged? We don't know. Or was this just the foreknowledge of Christ on display? We don't know. But we do know that he would go to the master's, they would go to the master's house, they would ask the master, and the master would show them a room. God's control, Jesus' 
this control, sovereignty, intentionality, sovereign work, his plan, his, his obedience is all on display here. They would say to this master, in Matthew's account it says, Jesus would say, my time is near. But they would tell the master. And so these would have, they would have this room ready, it says. Look at it in verse 11. Tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Now this is a little bit, uh, intriguing here because there's a lot of teachers in Jerusalem at this time. What do you mean the teacher said? Which teacher? Which points us to the fact that this is probably a follower of Christ, a believer of Christ who knows and understands what, what this is. And so Peter and John would be sent. They would go. The disciples wouldn't know. Judas wouldn't know. Jesus is controlling this whole thing. They would talk to the man. They would follow the man with the water. They would ask the master, who's probably a believer. The master would show him this large upper room, which would consist of, it says it's furnished. A large, verse 12, look at this. A large upper room furnished. A large upper room that's furnished. And that's where they would prepare the meal. There would be couches there for them to recline during the Passover. Probably some stairs from the outside so they could enter in and out. And all of this, listen now, all of this is just has an air of divine drama. He's in full control. This is his plan. This is the perfect timing. There's obedience, finality, fulfillment, irony, imagery. And Jesus is giving these directions. Judas would not thwart it. This would all happen in his timeline and they would prepare the meal there. All of this was under the sovereign hand of God. And so we see this perfect timing, this date. We see this perfect, sovereign, controlled direction. Let's just look briefly before we close at this divine control summarized for us in verse 13. I mean, this is the summary of it, folks. This is Luke telling us that Jesus is in control. He's pointing us to this fact in verse 13. It says, and they went and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. This is a summary. Everything's happening according to Jesus's direction. They found it just as he told them. Jesus would obey. He would have the final meal. Friday, he would be the sacrificed lamb, the fulfillment of the Passover. Right now, during this time, he's following this divine timeline and Judas would not thwart it. And they sent, he sends his disciples and they find everything just as he told them. This is a sovereign rule of Christ this is Luke showing us here that he's in complete control. This is God's timing and God's work. God is doing the work to save sinners. And as we close this, I wonder if you've understood this rightly. This was initiated by God. This was controlled by God. Jesus was in control heading to the cross at every moment, at every point. All of this was fulfillment. 
All of this was obedience. This was all a divine, sovereign work to bring about salvation for sinners. And what that means is in salvation, God gets all the glory. He gets all the praise. If it was up to you, you would have had no way to orchestrate a plan for your salvation. He did the work and was in control at every point leading up to the cross. Understand who God is. Understand what God has done. And I pray that you would fully surrender to this great salvation that was provided by this perfect plan of God. Well, next week, we'll see the Lord and his disciples in the upper room. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask you to help us, Lord, to see this great sovereign work rightly. I mean, this whole thing points to you. This was the exact timing that this needed to take place. All the obedience is there, all the timing is there, all the imagery is there, all the fulfillment is there, all the irony. And Jesus, even in your directions to Judas, we see your divine wisdom. I mean, to the disciples to avoid Judas, we see your divine wisdom. And we see your great working power as everything is being done just as you plan. God, help us to remember this work of salvation was under your sovereign hand. This was your work. This was your plan. And I pray that we would give you all the glory and that we would submit to this salvation that you providentially worked for repentant sinners. Lord, thank you for this. We could not save ourselves. And it was only by your hand that salvation, sinners being made right with God, would be possible. We give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, stand with us in response to the preaching of God's word.